We are in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 19. And uh, the, uh, the series we are in on faith uh, is week number four now. And uh, the last three weeks we have been uh, unpacking what a biblical faith is, what it looks like. And we've been doing that by looking at some some figures in the Old Testament specifically. Uh, we also have uh, been describing faith, a biblical faith, a couple of uh, uh, sentences here, being convinced of the reality of the facts that God has revealed and my response to those facts. It's an obedience and a persistent hope in the promises of God. It's a confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. Along the way, we've also encountered some verses in Hebrews chapter 11 that have guided our conversation. Verse 1 in Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We started walking down this hall of faith and uncovering several people who have been commended for their faith in God. Uh, the life of Abel, we looked at in the very first week on faith. Uh, we saw that his life showed us a faith uh, in God that involved an attitude of worship that was pleasing to God. Uh, we noticed in Enoch's life that it revealed a man who uh, his faith was pleasing to God. And what we found out about Enoch was that he walked with God. And we asked the question very simply at the end of that night together. We said, how do you do that? And we came up with a really simple definition of walking with God. It's, it's going the same direction God is going. And so we get on his page through connecting with him through the word and, and through prayer. In a very practical sense, we've got people in our church that are uncovering what that walk with God looks like in the Trek Class 201. Uh, some of you are participating in that in, in the room. I, I, I see some of your faces and recognize that some of you are in that class and uh, are those classes, actually. And it's a great opportunity to uncover spiritual disciplines and, uh, and, and, and ways in which we can connect with God in that walk with Him. And then last week, Noah's life reminded us that faith is a process. It's a journey that takes us from understanding to conviction to commitment. And that brings us to tonight. Tonight, we come to Abraham. He's revered by, uh, crazy enough, Christians and Jewish people and Muslims. Uh, he's, he's, he's nicknamed the father of the faithful. And Paul actually focuses an entire chapter of the book of Romans, chapter 4, on Abraham. A man of faith. Uh, I'm convinced that when it comes to faith, Abraham had a tent mindset and an altar mindset. We're going to unpack that tonight a little bit as we unpack his life. But let's just start off by saying his faith impacted both how he related to and in the world and how he related to God, to his creator Camping was something that I did a lot of growing up. My dad just loved camping. I mean, you get a, a tent and a Coleman stove and an igloo cooler in my dad's hands, and that's, that's the weekend right there. We're good to go. 
And so we would have just so much fun. We had a three-quarter ton Chevy pickup with a camper on the back. Uh, and, uh, and so what, what happened is, and not like a camper that you pull, like a camper on the back of the flatbed. You follow me, right? And so he had a big piece of plywood that he had wrapped with carpet uh, and, and then put it in there as like a, a, a liner, a bottom, right? And so they would load, he and my mom would load all the camping equipment in there, and then they would throw my brother and I in the back, and then off we would go you know, bouncing around through Texas, you know, just going to all these different spots. And, uh, I mean, seatbelts, we're such pansies. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's just, that's just how we did camping, right? Uh, and, and, and it was not necessarily with a plan. Sometimes we had a plan. Sometimes we had a, a, a site that was reserved. Other times, my dad was just like, we're going to go find a spot, and we're going to be there for a couple of days. I'll never forget this one particular time when we we found our spot. We got into our tent, and uh, and and about midway in the night, all of a sudden the wind started to pick up, and a cold front started to come through. It had already been a little chilly that night as we were putting up our tent. Uh, my dad did not look at the weather forecast. Uh, he did not realize that this cold front of all cold fronts was coming into that area. We were actually on a lake right in Navasota, Texas, if you know where that is. And the true story, woke up that morning so very, very cold, looked outside, and the edges of the pond were beginning to freeze over. And uh, my brother and I were like, this is awesome. We're going to like ice fish, thinking we're like in Alaska or something, right? I mean, this is going to be fantastic. And my mom's like, I want to go inside. And we're like, inside the tent. It's cold in there too. It's just awful. And, uh, and, but we were having a blast. It was so much fun. It was a memory. Fast forward 20 years later, right? 20 years later, I am a student pastor and, uh, and Louis Giglio, uh, I had been following. He was doing uh, choice ministries in Baylor and I was a college student and all that time. And it was really a great time of worship. Every time people would connect with him and then he started this thing called passion, right? And so there were these passion events. Some of you may have even gone to them and they got this great idea. This farmer gave up a whole bunch of land, uh, in Sherman, Texas, uh, for this one day passion event in 2003. And so I, had these high school seniors and these college students and off we go and we're we we, we get to Sherman Texas and and it's a it's a one night it's a couple of nights but it's a one day focused worship prayer fasting experience for older high school students and college students and we get all of our stuff set up and uh and so I get in my tent it was smaller than this even uh for the night and 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 kind of get down get ready and it starts to rain about midnight Again, uh, not knowing the forecast at all, all of a sudden it started like a monsoon. I mean, it was like rain is like, you know, coming through here because this doesn't do a whole lot for you, right? And so, I mean, the tent, I mean, it's like rain is coming in everywhere. Then the wind starts to blow. There's thunder, there's lightning. We're on this, we're on this hill on this guy's land. And there's like, I mean, let me paint the picture for you. We're talking like thousands of college students. We've hiked in about a mile from our vehicles just to get to our site. You can't see the parking lot. You can't see any vehicles. We're in the middle of nowhere on this hill. No electricity, no nothing. We're just there in our little pup tents. And it's like Jesus is coming back. I mean, the sky is opening up. I'm just waiting for the hail to start. I mean, it is awful. And I kid you not, I'm inside of my pup tent like this, 
and the wind starts to pick up and I put a foot on this side and a foot on this side and I am trying to hold down the corners because, you know, I wasn't a smart enough college student to bring, no, no, didn't have those. And so the wind and it starts to pick up my tent and I feel myself starting to like slide down the mountain and I'm like holding, I'm, you think I'm exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. It's me and like thousands of my best friends, right? And we're all in pup tents like this, sliding down the mountain. Now, can I just tell you, it didn't take that experience to prove this to me. I knew this beforehand, but you know, tents are temporary. They're not permanent structures. They weren't intended to be. Even if I had anchored that puppy down, it was not going to stay. It was very memorable, but it serves a great illustration for us tonight that tents are a great place to sleep on a camp out for a night or two under the stars, but they're not permanent. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find Abraham and his family living in tents. For Abraham, tents were a necessary shelter in this time. They were life-sustaining. It was necessary though that they be temporary because Abraham was on the move. I'd also say that even Abraham's faith had a tent mindset to it. Uh, We see this first of all in Abraham's obedience. Check this out. By faith, verse 8, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abram left Haran without question. He left without reservation. Why? Because God told him to leave. And the scripture tells us that he went out not knowing where he was headed. The scripture does not say after much deliberation. It does not say once God had convinced him. It does not say once God, once God took out his iPad and showed him the great pictures of where he was headed and gave him a Google map. It doesn't say anything like that. It just says in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 12 that Abraham went. I think we want so much more evidence, don't we? We do. We, we, we want so much more before we obey. And my question is, is that faith? What was it, blind faith? We put a blindfold on Teddy a minute ago, and, and, and he got walked around. But even was that a blind faith? I mean, he did have a guide. It was grounded in a confidence that God was going to make good on a promise that he had given. What was the promise? God said this to Abram. He said, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And you know what? Abram believed him. He believed God and he obeyed. And the verse in Hebrews says that he stayed as a foreigner in this land of promise. But that word foreigner is very interesting because what it carries with it is the weight of someone who was living in the land with no rights whatsoever. He was an illegal alien living in the land of Canaan. 
And yet he stayed. He left, and yet he stayed in a difficult place away from home. Why? Because he had faith in God's promises. So God says to us, go live in the land of forgiveness. The question is, do we? Do we keep ourselves tied to the past? Or do we trust God with his promises? That his forgiveness is always there to bring us freedom from guilt and shame because of who we have in his son, Christ Jesus. God says to us, go live in the land of wisdom. But do we? Do we keep stumbling around, attempting to figure it all out on our own, thinking that maybe we're going to think our way through it or that maybe it's just going to feel right in the end? And at the end of the day, we just keep on hitting against issues that are eating our lunch and tearing us apart when God promises that if we follow him, he's going to give us the wisdom that helps our path get straight. God says to us, go live in the land of peace. But the question is, do we? Or does Randy live in an unsettled, frustrated, worried about this issue and that issue existence? Or do I trust God with his promise? His promise that he wants to deliver me a peace that passes all understanding. Do we lay down that issue that we might have that causes us so much stress before God? Knowing that we can completely trust him with the outcome? You see, we all have a land that we need to inhabit. We do. The question is, are you living there? The question is whether or not our faith in his promises is moving us towards steps that take us into that land of peace, of wisdom, of forgiveness, of you fill in the blank. Why call it a tent mindset, Randy? I mean, um, what's really the point there? Well, really, it goes back to the song that we just opened up with a minute ago. Because Abraham saw himself living in, belonging to another city. He didn't have a full concept of what that would actually be, what that would experience, what the experience would be like. Maybe what Abram thought was, it was looking for that moment where he would be connected with God in the same way that his great, 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 great grandfather Adam was before the fall. I'm not sure exactly what his concept of that land was going to be, but I do know this. The tent for him was not his ultimate destination. The future impacted his perspective on his current condition. The future, as Abram understood it, impacted his perspective on his current condition. Quote, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So maybe... Abram or Abraham and David Murphy both have it right, right? Because they both walked up to the plate with the song, all I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. I didn't know building 429 was back. Is that our theme song? You say, well, God, I'm making decisions regarding my family based on the reality that this is not their home. Do we? 
Do we make decisions about our family based on the reality that this is not our home? That's a real catchy song, and I really love it when he hits a home run after it's played in the ballpark. But is it a reality in the way I react and respond to my kids? God, I'm making decisions with my money and my time based on the reality that this is not my home. Do we? What does that look like? Maybe it's my willingness to allow my child to go on the mission field right after they graduate from high school and not even get to college yet. What? Randy, we're white collar. We don't do that. Maybe it's diverting some time away from some personal pursuits and focus instead on ministering to some children or some students or to some small group members that might be meeting in your home on a a weekly or a bi-monthly basis or whatever. Maybe it's sponsoring a kid in a third world country like Belize. Maybe it's beginning to pray now about what going might look like for you or for your family. In the future, a new church plan. Okay, I'm there. I'm praying. Maybe so. Is that where we are? Maybe it's short-term or long-term missions assignments. I don't know. But a tent mindset sees this world as temporary and obeys God in light of that reality. But a tent mindset also does something else. It also perseveres. Kind of like how I was persevering through that storm in the tent. Hebrews 11, 11, 12, by faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. Abram is 75, right? And God says, hey, follow me. I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abram follows God. He follows God with his tent. Right? And goes in the land of Canaan and he gets really prosperous, big time prosperous. But he has no kids. And God had told him he was going to make him a great nation, but it's like, how does that happen if I don't get any kids? So we move forward now to, to age 86. And by this time, whenever we find Abram in the scripture, what we discover is, you know, he, he, had, brought, he, he had brought Lot with him, right? And uh, they had split up the land, and, and, and Lot had gotten himself captured, and Abram went and rescued him. And, I mean, all kind of craziness is happening, right? And we get through all of that, and then God says, Hey, Abram, you know what? See those stars up there? That, you're, you're, that, that's like a picture of your offspring, And can you imagine, I mean, Aaron's like, okay, yeah, right. I mean, like 11 years ago, I know we talked about this, but I'm 86 now. Abram Abram and Sarai decide to take matters into their own hands. You know the story. Hagar, Sarai's maid, her servant. Abram and she have a child, Ishmael. Flash forward 13 more years, God tells Abram, your name is now Abraham and your wife is Sarah and the covenant is going to be fulfilled. And Abram's like, whoa, wait a minute, what? Okay, first of all, I had my name already spelled out. That's weird. But then, on top of that, 
You're telling me that the promise is going to be fulfilled. I thought the promise already was fulfilled. You see, here's, here's, here's Ish right here. And God's like, no, 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 it's going to be fulfilled. And it's going to be from, fulfilled from Sarai, a.k.a. Sarah. And they start laughing. Because at this point now, we've moved forward another 13 years. And now he's 99. And by the time the baby's born, he's 100 and she's 90. And she gives birth to Isaac. And there are these two elderly Hebrews Good as dead almost, right? And yet faithful in perseverance. And you know what I love about their story? What I love about their story is that they prove to us that perseverance isn't perfect. It's not about perfection. Sometimes we just think, oh, I blew it. You know, we're trying to persevere with our quiet time. We're trying to persevere with... uh, battling this particular habit or being focused in this area or whatever and all of a sudden boom this happens or you know it's just like oh wait a minute this doubt this uncertainty moves in this fear we have these moments of wanting to take back the reins into our own hands we're like no i can't keep tithing i'm barely above float financially no wait i don't know if we can keep doing this with our children i know we were going to take back the reins and be the parents but right now it's really hard because they're really bucking us on all this stuff i don't know if it's worth it maybe i shouldn't do this maybe i shouldn't Maybe I ought to step back into that old pattern. And the beauty of this love story with Abram and Sarai, with Abraham and Sarah, is that it was a love story of perseverance, but it wasn't perseverance in perfection. It was imperfection. And that's okay. Because they pressed on. God says, trust me, hold on. You don't see the big picture. I remember visiting in Hong Kong several years ago with some missionaries. And we were up on about the 33rd floor. And they were having a worship experience in this apartment uh, that they had blown out some of the walls. And there were about 25, 30 people there. And these missionaries were worshiping. And it was a really intense time of worship as we were hanging out there with them on that, uh, in, that, in that high-rise building. And I remember talking with them afterwards, and they were like, yeah, you know, I mean, God has just been so faithful, so good. You know, over the last 10, 15 years, we've seen one or two people give their lives to Christ every year. I mean, it's just been amazing. And I started doing the math, and I'm thinking, you've been here for like 15, 20 years, and you got 20, 30 people in this apartment. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, what? What? And then as I began to talk to them more, I realized, you know what? They had a completely different picture because every single one of those people whose lives got flipped around for eternity, they're seeing a much bigger picture. And as they continued to persevere and one by one, people stepped out of religions that were false and into following the true God, that worship just became that much more intense. And the reason why is because as they continued to faithfully obey, they were faithfully obeying and they were persevering. Faith in God is a tent mindset resulting in obedience and perseverance. And then finally, sacrifice. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, now called Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Whoa, wait a minute. Step back. I thought that was the answer. I thought he was the answer. Let's keep going. He received the promises and he was offering his unique son. The one that had been said about your seed will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Pause. He'd never seen that before. Faith to believe in something that had never even been thought of. As an illustration and he received him back. You know, some have confused 
have been confused at verse 17 when it says Abraham was tested. Uh, I thought God didn't test people. What about James chapter 1 and the whole, he's not going to tempt us. I don't get that. Important thought here for us to consider. Two words in the Greek. Test. One. Pirazzo. It's a negative test. It's a test leading toward one's destruction. I remember taking many of these in both high school and college. But then, but then there is this other Greek word for test. It is dokomadzo, and it's a test leading towards strength. It's a test that pushes one to excellence. And God says, this is what I'm pushing Abram toward. And Abraham was willing to sacrifice. Why? Because he trusted God's promises. Because even though he had never seen a resurrection, he believed something must be possible. Because God promised. And if God promised, it was going to happen. He didn't break his promises. So Abraham was willing to sacrifice because he had a tent mindset. Because he knew that whatever he was facing was temporary. What if we just walked out of here tonight going, God, I'm going to look at this issue differently. I'm going to look at this situation differently. I'm going to look at this relationship differently. Because right now, I know I am confused and I am frustrated and I feel loss and I have questions and I have fear and I have all of these thoughts and feelings and emotions. But the reality is, I know that all of this is temporary. So we get verbally and socially rejected because of our faith. Okay? Temporary. So we get confused at why the righteous seem forgotten at times and foolish are rewarded. Yeah, and it's temporary. Our faith leads us to obedience and perseverance and sacrifice because it's anchored to the one true God who daily whispers in our ear, this is not your home. This body is wasting away. This body doesn't travel well. And now you see how that tent mindset is actually tied to this altar mindset that he also had. Because the tent mindset doesn't exist without our life being anchored in the promises of God. And how do we discover those? It's in a life of worship as we unpack daily who he is and what that means to us. So our faith in God has an altar mindset. But that altar mindset results in a life anchored on the promises of God. You know, as we close, here's a thought. Abraham was an altar-building guy. You can start in Genesis chapter 12 and move right on through his life, and you see him building altar after altar after altar. Acknowledging God, worshiping God, wanting to remember how God had interacted with him in all of these places, except when he went down to Egypt, and 20 years later, when he was in Gerar, You don't find an altar in either one of those spots. You think it's coincidence that in both of those places, he got scared for his life, passed his wife off for his sister, deceived rulers, gave 
God a bad name to heathen countries who did not know him yet. I'm sure that's just coincidence, right? Or do you think that just maybe there's something to building an altar in our lives daily? I think he strayed away from God's game plan and he chose one that was inferior. And it ended up hurting other people and giving God a bit of a black eye. Now, our God's big enough to come back from that, right? Absolutely. He's not hindered by us, by our movements. But we sure are hindered by not being able to be a part of what God wants to do and how he invites us to be a part of it. An altar mindset is crucial in our walk of faith. It keeps us focused on God and his promises. And when Abraham did that, look at these verses. Verse 17, he received the promises and he was offering his unique son. He received the promises and sacrifice. Okay, boom. Promises were there. He was willing to sacrifice. Verse 9, he stayed as a foreigner. Where? In the land of promise. I'm here. God, you promised. I'm going to be willing to wait this thing out. Verse 11, she, Sarah, considered that the one who had promised was faithful. And so all these people that we've been studying about, and some of the ones that we will after we take a little bit of a break for a marriage series in a few weeks, they're talked about here at a break point in verse 13. It says, these all died, all these people, they died in faith without having received the promises. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now deserve a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Those heroes of faith in Hebrews, this passage says they obeyed, they persevered to the end, they sacrificed. Why? Because, I love this verse here, in verse 13 at the end there, it says, because they recognized they were temporary residents. (laughs) and they were focused in on what God had promised. So what about us? Do we live that way? What are God's promises to us? Here's a few, just a few, just enough to put on one screen. We could fill screens all the way around the auditorium with God's promises. I just picked out a few. That salvation makes a child makes me a child of God, that God offers daily cleansing from sin, that God's presence is with me and his spirit is my helper and God will supply all of my needs and he comforts me in times of trouble and he sets limits on my trials and temptations and he he grants to me, uh, let's finish that, uh, uh, rest, no, wisdom, thank you. James 1.5, he grants to me wisdom. God provides rest for my soul. God gives me peace. Nothing separates me from God's love. My eternity with God can be secure. Those are some great promises. The question is, do I trust him with those? Have I anchored myself in an altar mindset? Recognizing my life is temporary. And his promises are good. Will you close your eyes with me?
in this moment. Quiet. Stillness. Maybe what you would just say is, God, what did you want for me to receive tonight? A reminder that it's all temporary. A reminder that you and your promises are good. That we can bank on them, God. God, I know that we've got a variety of different life experiences in the room. And um, maybe... Uh, there are those here who would say, I, I don't even know God. I don't even know. I don't have a relationship with him. I'm not. I'm here. But I'm really unsure about what all this looks like. God, I pray that you would speak so very clearly to them that it is impossible for them to even escape the room, the building, without having dialogue with you, without having dialogue with somebody in this place. To understand what it is to know you. God, I also recognize there are those in this place that have walked in confused about an issue, frustrated about an issue, fearful about a relationship. And God, thank you for already placing that whisper in their ear that they can trust you with it. That you're big enough. Uh, They they knew it. They knew it, God. I know they knew it. God, thank you for giving them the strength tonight to walk in that knowledge. God, it's not by accident anybody showed up. You brought each one of us here in this moment to do business with you. And so, God, we're listening. We trust you, God. Father, help us to live as temporary residents on this earth. With a mindset on what really matters. God, we receive communion at this time. We give at this time. We experience a conclusion to our worship at this time. And may it be a sweet-smelling sacrifice to you as we build this altar of praise and worship in your direction, saying, it's all about you, God. It's all about you.